Hi, I'm Eric Wieland. I am the Director of IT Services for the Department of Medicine at UCSF. Um, for our friends from Santa Cruz, yes, I am a DITS. Um, <laughs> uh, how many people here are managers or supervisors? And then how many people are here with their manager or supervisor? This will be very interesting for you. <laughs> um, so I'm going to just start off and give you some expectation of what you may be able to come away with. Um, and my caveat is this is a framework that works for me, but uh, at other campuses there's different classifications, different series, different funding models. So a lot of this is going to vary quite a bit. But um, So I'm going to go over four things. Um, how the concept of leveling works. So this is within a series, um, programmer analysts, computer resource specialists, CRA, CRM. Um, what it means to look at people in these positions across your entire campus and try to make sure that you're applying classifications consistently. Um, so to make sure that there's more equity, uh, more uh, accountability, essentially. Um, how to start a mentoring program. Uh, I, I go into it very, very shallowly. So <laughs> um, but I, I think it's still valuable, even if uh, you don't have people turn around and become this superstar employee after being mentored. Um, it doesn't hurt. So um, the next bit is kind of a weird thing to hear at first, but when you actually see it, you'll, I think it'll make more sense. How to build a matrix of skill and knowledge areas? Concept here is that um, you have a service catalog, even if it's not written down anywhere, that of the things that your people, services your people provide. Um, in order to provide those services, they need a certain amount of skill and knowledge in certain technical areas. And then you need to be able to map that to a program or analyst or CRS leveling map in order to sort of build your job descriptions. So I'm going to show you how to do that. Um, and then once you've got all these ideas, how do you get people to own this and own their own staff development and apply them using some learning techniques? Um, and I'm also going to talk about what's in it for you, just very briefly, but um, hopefully you'll figure it out for yourselves as well. Um, you will not learn how to talk to your staff. That's sort of a prerequisite. You've got to be able to do that. Or you have to be willing to do that. Um, I will not help you fix problem employees. People have to own this. And if they don't want to, nothing happens. Um, I cannot help you make money grow, grow on trees. And I will not release my recipe for gazpacho. So. So this is a very busy slide, but um, so UCSF, uh, one of those campuses that doesn't really have much of a vital center. We have scattered all over the city. Every pin represents a location just within the city of San Francisco. There's also locations in Richmond, Oakland, Fresno, all over the place. Um, the green pins are areas where the Department of Medicine is not. The blue pins are places where the Department of Medicine is, and the red pins are places where we are where we actually have staff in my group. So I manage staff that are miles apart, and there are special challenges there. Um, we are the largest academic department on campus, almost 2,700 people, uh, five major medical centers around the, the city, and we have missions of education, patient care, research, and public policy. So we have people doing lots of really interesting things in a wide variety of areas. My group um, only supports about a a quarter, 
really. Of it's, it's, It looks like a fifth, but we don't really count volunteer clinical faculty. They get no services. Um, so we, we represent, we support about a quarter of the department. There are other groups that support people in other places, and then there are people that just have no support. Uh, most of that's based on uh, limits on federal funding. They have to have their own people um, tied to the grants. So um, We support about 550 devices, 55 servers. There are eight of us. Um, only about five people do field services, so um, we're about average in terms of uh, the load on our people. Um, and then I manage this service, and then 20% of my job besides managing this service is also working on things like policy, uh, being a liaison with other IT groups across campus, um, giving presentations like this. Um, and I'm also a member of something called the UCSF HR IT Advisory Committee. What we do is we review classification requests for different classifications across campus that are related to IT to try to make sure that people are being reviewed in a consistent way. So we um, have nine members. There's uh, one here. <laughs> he can tell me if I'm getting any of this wrong. Um, so this is the idea of leveling as it's applied specifically to the programmer analyst series at UCSF. Um, this is a, a technique that was actually developed at Berkeley and then adopted by our medical center and then our medical center brought it to campus and said, why don't we start using this everywhere so that we're being a little bit more consistent when people go from being a programmer analyst in the med center and come to campus. It should look about the same. So um, what we do is in person every two years we sit down and say, these classification has changed. We have to change the descriptions. We have to agree on new standards. Um, and then every week or so, we get a new request for classification. So we'll get an email that says, please review. It's got an org chart. It's got an IT questionnaire. It's got an employee requisition. It's got a, a cover memo. And we read through the 20 pages of documentation and say, eh, it's a PA3. So. So. I don't expect you to read this, but your first handout is so. Sorry. Um. Better? No. Lower? Better? There we go. Okay, so page one of your nine page tree killing handout. Um, this is the current state of the art of programmer analyst leveling at UCSF. What we do is we look at people in four different areas. They are assessed on. Uh, great. Um, they're assessed on impact and scope of their job, uh, their, their independence and decision making abilities, their working relationships both within their group and outside their group, and their knowledge and skills. So. What most people think of as a programmer analyst is, oh, they're the smart tech guy. Um, it's more than that. They really need to have um, an understanding of their environment, the university environment, um, and a lot of other things. And the second and third pages of that handout are, if the preponderance of your duties are in systems administration or web development, there are more specific criteria that you can apply um, if they're relevant. So. It's not enough to say that you know, a field service person is a PA3, but then they also do sysadmin work. You've got to kind of find a balance between sort of the general factors and the specific factors to make that determination. So the reason I 
present this is that, at least at UCSF, this is how people assess you and your staff. Um, so it's really important to know that, both for your own edification, but it gives you some power, it gives you some advantage. So if you know what people are looking for when they're assessing you, it helps you write classifications, write job descriptions, and apply them fairly both within your group and then with your peer organizations. So this, will all, this is all very disjointed. It'll come together at the end, promise. Um, so the next thing I do is uh, I'm going to talk about how to develop a mentoring program. Um, first question is obviously why. Don't I have enough work to do? Why do I need to do this? Um, well, you need to worry about things like succession planning, uh, skill sharing, team building, uh, camaraderie, and it, mentoring programs build a, a shared sense of responsibility. So it, it's not just my responsibility as a supervisor to make sure that everyone's doing their job. I think it's everyone in the team's responsibility to make sure that they're working together and that there's no weak link. And a mentoring program helps reinforce these ideas. So this is not theory from any book. This is basically just what me and my HR group came up with. So uh, first thing you do is you assess the strengths and weaknesses of each person in your team. And what can each person add? And what do they need in order to get ahead? And based on that, figure out who would work best as a mentor for whom. And the idea, obviously, is if the senior person has the same bad habit as the junior person, you don't want to pair them together, especially if you're trying to you know, weed out that bad habit in the first place. Um, so focus on complementary skill sets um, or areas where uh, the junior person's interests are complemented by the senior person's knowledge. Um, and then finally, you need to set expectations very clearly. A mentor is not a supervisor. Um, a mentor is someone who is there to share the, the wealth of their experience to help someone else get to that same level. So make sure that you tell them you need to talk to each other. And even if that conversation is difficult, you still need to have it. Um, you need to make sure that the mentor knows they're not responsible for the success or failure of the mentee, but that they can share in the success if it's done right. Um, and finally, you're not creating middle managers. You're still the supervisor of all these people, the mentor and the mentee. So if there's conflict, you are the person who resolves it. Um, and the other thing I like to point out is that the mentor is still to be mentored. You can't just set them off and hope that they'll get something out of it and not monitor up, uh, what happens. So that's why I say you have to follow up on it. So now we get into the middle five pages that is um, really hard to stare at because of all the colors, I apologize. Those are the standard Excel colors, so that's what you get. Um, the idea here is, okay, you know that you have a way of leveling a programmer analyst. Um, you know that you have a service catalog or services that you need to provide. How do you map them so that you know that your job descriptions for your staff are actually at the right level and focused on the right service. Well, this is essentially that map. Um, the pages four through eight of your handouts, this is more or less the service catalog for my department. So yours is gonna look radically different. I, I came up with these on my own. 
I recommend that you actually go through the process of looking at your service catalog or just start off with just a list of the functions that your group provides. You started your service catalog. There you go. Um, then look at, for each service you provide and each person who provides it, what would it look like if a PA2 did it versus a PA3? You obviously want the PA3 to have, um, based on the leveling criteria, higher impact, broader scope, um, deeper level of knowledge, and that all goes back to the programmer analyst leveling spreadsheet. So you're basically mapping that, all that stuff from there directly onto your functions. And this takes time, and this is something I developed with my senior staff, with my HR. It took weeks. It, it's really valuable, though. This is sort of the key to your organization in terms of where people are, what they do, how they do it. Um, so this is just a, a quick list of the, the skill and knowledge areas I came up for my group. I went to the extra step of, at the very last page, the page eight, I have a key that shows which of these things were essential, which were preferred, and which were optional. And those of you who have ever written a job description, you know why those are there. Um, it's also really important if you're looking at things like reclass. You cannot reclass someone for knowledge that isn't pertinent to their job. So, and some of these are kind of touchy-feely. Um, in my group, we have no silos so much. We have lots of overlap in job roles. So communication skills, that's a really vague term, but it's laid out pretty explicitly in, in the matrix of audience, level, all kinds of stuff that's relevant to my group. So how do you apply this? So this is a lot of information. You've just written it down, and it looks like something that you really wouldn't want to show anyone, because how do you make sense of it? So next thing you do is you take a look at everyone in your group, and you say, okay, where are they in each one of these areas? And you plot it out. And again, I involved senior members of my staff, HR, and we came up with sort of a, a, a current snapshot of where everyone was. And then the next thing we looked at was, does this jive with their job description? Um, is this the level of knowledge that I need in order to get all of my job done? Um, and then if you have the luxury or if you're doing succession planning, what would the next step look like for these people? And so, for example, in my group, it's not that everyone's going to be a straight, you know, PA3 in every level of, of the work because I don't need a systems administrator to know a lot about uh, project management in a lot of ways. Well, they will have a project manager. So they might not need the same level of skill in that area, where in others they need to be at the highest level. So it's going to look like a kind of a jagged line. And you'll see in your handouts, the person that I did this for, the boxes for their next step are outlined in green. So after you've done this, then you figure out, well, is there room for growth? Well, in succession planning, you know that there's going to have to be growth at some point in the future. So don't overpromise that this is going to happen, but get them prepared for that next step if and when it happens. Um, if you do have the room for a reclass in your group, then that's where you start mapping out that next step for them. Um, do your customers need more service than they're currently getting? Do you need to put tier three people closer to your customers? Um, if your management will support it, if the budget will support it, then this is how you get ready for it. 
And then the other thing to keep in mind is, um, you know, I've got a mix of junior and senior and kind of middle people. What happens if people that I hired at the same time, one of them progresses faster than the other? It's not that there's a really good answer for that. You just have to prepare yourself for it. Um, some people will take it hard. But I find that if everyone has a clear understanding of what their next step looks like, they own that progress. And so it's not my responsibility um, to make sure that they get there. My responsibility is to make sure they do their current job well and that I give them the opportunity to move up if we can. So. so the final thing is, so you've got people leveled. Um, they're mentored. They're positioned. They're pointed in the right direction. Um, how do they acquire the skills and knowledge that they need to get to the next level? Um, I developed these learning techniques. It's the last handout. And um, I'm actually going through this really quickly. I apologize. <laughs> um, this is essentially some ways to reinforce good behaviors, um, to take some, let's not say bad behaviors, to, to point people towards a good behavior. Um, if you're looking for very specific outcomes from people, you obviously want to give them specific deliverables. So some of the handouts have... Um, things highlighted in a certain color. Uh, one of those colors indicates uh, a very specific deliverable with a date and an outcome. Other things are really more um, behaviors or routines you want people to get into that will help them operate at the next level. Um, maybe not at the current time, or it'll help them work with their, with their coworkers or their customers, but it's, it's sort of just sort of a, this is what it would look like if you were I don't know, a PA3 and you're currently a 1. This will help you sort of get into the mode of you know, thinking about what this is going to look like. And essentially what this is, is you've got senior staff who have worked their way up over the years. They're successful for one reason or another. Look at what they do, why it makes them successful, um, and start to try to abstract that into uh, very specific things that people can do on a day-to-day on a -day basis that would help them do their jobs. Um, some other things are, you'll notice that one of the things I talk about is uh, 360 shadowing. Um, this is a technique where a junior person watches a senior person do something and tries to describe what it is they did, um, why they did certain things a certain way, and then the senior person then shadows the junior person and describes to them what they did and tries to figure out if there were better or worse ways, uh, if there were better ways they could have done it. Um, and it's a way for the junior person to try to identify those techniques and those um, uh, behaviors that are most useful in doing their job. So um, I also find that it the sharing, the skill sharing, and the, and the soft skills sharing that happens there is, is very valuable. So this is just another slide that shows some of the stuff you already have in front of you. Um, so finally, uh, you take these four different things and you hand them off. Um, I meet with each of my mentoring pairs and I hand them their um, skill and knowledge area map and we prioritize based on where they are now, well, I think that you should focus on, say, these skills first, because they're going to be the ones that are going to help you the most. 
um, they're going to be the highest impact, or they're maybe where the largest gap is. So if you're looking at that skill and knowledge area matrix, you'll see that some of the numbers, there, there's numbers in the columns on the left, and those are the priority numbers. Um, clearly define the process of what's going to happen next. So let's say that this mentor helps the junior staff member um, really excel in certain areas, or the mentor sort of helps you keep on top of the staff member's progress. Um, what's going to happen when they reach sort of a new plateau in a certain area? Um, it, it's your responsibility to make sure that that's very well understood and that at a certain point, um, when they reach sort of a certain level in each of these areas, that you will review their progress and maybe review if a reclass is warranted, if um, a change in job description is warranted, if new responsibilities are warranted. Um, the, and you obviously are going to incorporate this kind of feedback into regular meetings, but I think it's also important to have these regular reviews. I do it every four months where we look at the skill and knowledge area matrix and make sure that we know where people are progressing, how quickly they're going, um, if their new skills should be put to use immediately. Um, and that's always exciting for them. Um, another thing is don't forget your senior staff. Um, they are putting in extra work by being a mentor. Uh, in certain, certain classifications like PA4, it's actually a requirement of the job is to mentor junior staff, but how many people have time for that? Not many. So um, make sure that you recognize the contribution that your senior staff are making, and make sure that you don't skimp on their mentoring. You're their mentors. So, so monitor everyone's progress. Um, assign new responsibilities as is appropriate, and publicly recognize new plateaus. So you know, someone goes and takes a class, is able to demonstrate that they can apply this new skill, um, make a fuss sometimes. That's what people like to see, is that you recognize that they're actually progressing and that they're becoming a better, more valuable uh, employee because of that. Um, work with HR to make sure that they know that if you're changing people's responsibilities, job descriptions, roles, that that's not going to be a problem because of union, reporting rules, things like that. They need to know about that. Um, they tend to be very encouraging, to me at least, but your mileage may vary. <laughs> um, and again, be fair. You hired them to do a specific job. If they're not progressing to the next level fast enough, um, that shouldn't be reflected on their performance of their current job. Um, if they're a PA1 and they're really excited about moving up to PA2, great. But if they're not, you can't ding them for that. That's, they're doing their job. So um, I went through that really quickly. But um, I, I didn't actually trust you guys to ask the questions that I'm willing to answer. So, <laughs> so I'm going to ask a few myself. Um, so how's this working out so far? Um, Let's see, I've got three senior staff, three junior staff um, that are in, so three mentoring pairs. Uh, one of the mentoring pairs that I set up has not changed, and it works at a slow and steady pace, and both of the people involved love it. Um, I had a senior person and a junior person that worked so well together that I was concerned that they were becoming a little too close, and I actually swapped their mentoring pairs with someone else. Um, it actually turns out that they had learned so the 
the junior person had learned so much from the senior person that they felt like they wanted to give that senior person to a different junior person so they get the benefit of it. I thought that was great, very altruistic. Um, and then I have one senior person who's a kind of set in his ways, um, but he really is coming out of his shell because of it. So uh, the senior people are learning as much from the junior people as vice versa. It's, it's been very gratifying. Um, oh, and one other thing is I get feedback from my junior staff saying, I, I finally feel like I know where I stand in the organization. I know what's expected of me, and I know what I need to do if I want to move up. And um, I had another manager ask me, all I want to know is, is this going to reduce the number of times I get asked for a reclass? And I said, yes, absolutely. And they said, okay, give it to me. <laughs> um, have I gone through the whole process with any staff? Uh, I recently reclassed a PA1 to a PA2. It was the easiest reclass I've ever done. I've, I've done seven now, and this one wrote itself. I basically took the things from the skill and knowledge area matrix, copy and paste, and it wrote the IT questionnaire in about, I don't know, two hours. They normally take me a week. Um, and HR said it was the most complete they'd ever seen. So, and they said, how do I do it? I said, copy, paste. Uh, what does HR think of it? They think it's great. Um, they wonder who I got it from, which I think uh, they must not respect me very much. Um, have any other groups implemented this yet? Um, not all four pieces. Um, I've handed off some of this to some other groups in my school and at my uh, in my school of medicine and also at UCSF. Um, I also am kind of a, a career mentor to other IT people who don't have their own technical managers on campus. And I've handed off this, uh, at least the skill and knowledge area matrix to them so they can help write their own reclasses or help write their own job descriptions for their non-technical managers. Um, their non-technical managers, of course, hate to ask questions about the technical job for fear of looking like they're idiots or they don't know how to manage. So this was actually kind of a nice, gentle way to say, well, by the way, we have some tools we could be using. Isn't that nice? So. Um, and can I help you do this? I think I just did, so yeah. Okay. Um. Ah, there we go. Um, so I have a half an hour to answer all of your questions. As long, unless we're both wrong, so. I actually did that the first time I handed the skill and knowledge areas out. I didn't have them any of them labeled um, in terms of uh, programmer analyst level or in terms of where they currently were. I just said, here, why don't you tell me where you think you are? Um, they came back so incredibly off that I didn't do it again. <laughs> uh, one person has a very high sense of their own self-worth, and they are the, um, the slowest progressor in my group. So I found that she was um, unpleasantly surprised, but that now she gets it. And she's really, she's actually making better progress now that she knows how everyone sees her, not just how she sees herself. So.
Oh, no, it's, it's not. And actually, let me describe what our service looks like. I didn't do a very good job of that. So it's an opt-in recharge service, which is why we only support about a quarter of the department. We have three lines of business, um, device support, which is desktop, laptop, PDA, printers, um, and it's a monthly recharge. We have server support, which uh, infrastructure support, really. We do um, uh, uh, storage area networks, uh, servers, virtual servers, web servers, um, backups. Um, we do web and application development. So it's all project-based, all uh, hourly. And um, we do a lot of web editing, um, web deployment, secure applications uh, for things like researchers. Um, and then we have a, just a catch-all, we'll do anything you want as a project, um, bring us your home computer, that kind of thing. So, so we actually have uh, eight people. Uh, I do some web development. I do a little bit of server administration. We have a straight application developer. And then the other six people are split in varying percentages across the three lines of business. Most do mostly field support, but we have one guy who does 60% server, 40% field support. Everyone does a little bit of project. So it's actually, if, when, I ask, when I'm asked to do an org chart, it's actually more of a Venn diagram. They're all kind of stacked on top of each other. So, so that, Um, I look at each individual in terms of their percent contribution to different lines of business. And um, so, for example, the, the, the thing you're looking at is one of my particular field service people who also does server administration and a little bit of web development. Um, he has a peer at the same classification who does almost no server administration, more web development, and then some other project management duties. So th there are people in the same classifications that have very different maps. Um, and that was actually something I worried about because I hired, say, I hired two PA1s at the same time. One of them has been reclassed, the other one hasn't. Um, but they were hired into very different roles and they sort of differentiated themselves by their own interests. And in my group, because we don't have this kind of silo uh, organization, people move towards their own interests and, and the organization's needs. So I have a little luxury that way, but... If anything, it makes it easier to justify having people of the same classification but with different um, uh, sort of a, a job maps. Um, it, it makes it easier for HR to understand that in particular. So. Mm -hmm. So you'll see a green... Yeah, so a green outline on the box that if they were to be reclassified, so this was at the time, this was just before I reclassified a PA1 to a PA2. So what you're looking at is essentially this person's skill set at the PA2 level, um, they would need to have, you know, PA2 that does field service needs to have some command line, but not a lot. So maybe I'll put them at the PA1 level for command line. But the preponderance of their duties need to be at the PA2 level. Right. Right. So again, this is sort of um, essential versus uh, recommended versus optional. For this person, all of the essential skills, they were at the right level. The optional stuff sort of is just an added bonus, but it doesn't really get them. 
Right. So um, I, I boxed out from the current PA1, at that time the current PA1, what will it look like for this person to be a PA2? It ended up being very slightly different because by the time he made it to PA2, he was actually had a bigger interest in project management and a couple other things. And so the boxes don't exactly line up to what you see. But because I had outlined all of the areas where I could you know, reasonably expect him to do the work, I didn't encourage him to say go into uh, virtualization. We didn't need it. So I encouraged him to go into other areas which he actually thrived in. So. He's still doing a lot of the same duties, just at a higher level. So that, that was something that was really important for me to uh, let the junior people know, is that just because you're being reclassified doesn't mean you're going to be doing an entirely different job. It's just that you're going to be doing it at a different level. So, and, and again, in my group, I can do that because a lot of people have a lot of the same responsibilities, even across levels and uh, areas. I'm going to get off that easily, really? A little background is that the, one of the reasons I actually got interested in this was because for seven and a half years I had a manager who um, Basically, all of this is sort of the antithesis of what he did. Uh, mushroom theory of management, you may have heard of. Um, so uh, when he handed off the job to me, he gave me very little advice. And my HR manager said, you know, all the stuff that he was doing, you might want to just try something else. So that um, <laughs> was the nice way of saying that they didn't miss him. Um, so I put a lot of effort into it on the front end. Building the matrix is a hugely time-consuming um, project, especially figuring out everything that you do in the minutest detail and at what level you can do it. Once that's set, it actually is fairly easy to manage. Um, you have a common reference point every time you meet with your staff. And so you don't have to go through the whole, well, you know you've been doing this. You just point to the map. And it, it's, it's like verbal shorthand. Oh, in this SKA, you were here and now you're doing this. That's great. Good progress. Let's move on. So. Um, I'm willing to commit a lot of time, but at the same time, I don't actually have to anymore. So. Maybe I just have a misconception about how bigger groups function, but I imagine that within functional areas that this maps pretty well. And that when you have a larger number of people, the, the needs of your customers maybe aren't hugely different. So you might have people who are, a couple people who are doing kind of the same or similar jobs. So um, I imagine it would map well, but one of the things that I absolutely think everyone should do is build the list of all of the services and, and um, things that you provide. And I, as long as you start from that, you should be able to figure out what everyone in your group is providing and how it maps into that. So it's, it's a limited number of skills, not necessarily a limited number of people that really makes the difference. So. 
I probably covered everything in the time you were gone. <laughs> you mentioned a couple times sort of a four-point methodology, and then I got to build a matrix with the big time continuity with four-point Yep. Uh, programmer analyst leveling. So let me go back to that slide. That's the first page on your handout. Uh, the concept here is uh, be able to, this is something that's used at, um, at UCSF for uh, consistently evaluating classifications, PA1 through PA4. We also use a separate one for computer resource managers um, and evaluating them in four key areas. That's impact and scope, independence and decision making, uh, working relationships, and knowledge and skills. And essentially from one to two to three to four, um, there's more detail required to evaluate. So if you know, uh, PA1 scope or PA1's decision making is limited, at the four range it should be unlimited. And so that was number one. The next one was how to de develop a mentoring program. This is how to look at who in your group can provide what, who in your group needs what, and how to match them up. And then you got the skill and knowledge area, and then <coughs> learning techniques, which is the last handout in your packet. <laughs> yes. I think that the skill and knowledge area would basically be co-developed by manager and the supervisor, um, just as I relied on my senior staff to, to help me develop it for all of the staff. Um, I think that the mentoring would be different because in theory a supervisor at a certain level should also provide some mentoring. Um, if they're not willing to or able to, then you might have the mentoring <laughs> to default up a level. Um, you know, some line supervisors are really there just to make sure that the operation is running smoothly and either aren't capable of, not at the right level, to do some mentoring. Um, I also provide mentoring to people outside my group, but I obviously can't. So. <laughs> ah, there we go. Um, I've talked to people in other groups about how this might work and they, that's one of the concerns that they express. And I think really you, you're going to end up needing to develop a working relationship with the other person they report to. Because it's probably a, a fixed percentage, but in reality it probably isn't in terms of how they divide their time. So um, I don't have an easy answer for you, but I think you're just really going to have to work with that other person and get them on board. Um, I recommend that everyone in my group take basic communication skills. Um, that was a way of not singling people out at first, but it actually, I found that the senior people benefited from it even more, even though I thought there's... I recommend that people get self-identified mentors outside their group just as a way of both um, getting exposed to other ways of doing things, but also um, as a way of networking. 
So, but those mentoring relationships aren't as formal. They can't get anything from them. So it's something that I bring back into my process. So.